and welcome to Tamra Talk Circular. As already discussed in our podcast, the EU climate targets can only be achieved through efficient recycling of various material streams. Much is on the way for recycling, as we can see from the debate about recycling quotas, and especially using recyclates. But a functioning circular economy does not begin with collecting, sorting, and recycling. In fact, circularity starts with intelligent product design. Not only form and manufacture are central factors in product design, but the design of the material itself, down to a molecular level, has significant influence. My name is Mitu Moran, and today my guest is Dr. Matthias Bielopolski, founder of Evolution, on our podcast to speak to me today about his vision of circular product design. With over nine years of international experience in sustainable materials innovation and technology, and a special focus on natural fiber composite solutions for high performance in modern industrial applications, recycling and circular economy, he has worked globally from Singapore to Zurich on a variety of development projects, consulting universities, research labs, and industry. So that's quite a bit, Matt, I have to say. Thank you for coming on the show. It's it's really good to have you here. Thanks, V2. Thanks for the introduction. And thanks for, for inviting me here. It's really a pleasure to be here today. So let's just get started. How, Matt, do you define circular product design. You already mentioned taking intelligent choices or making intelligent choices. And I think this is something that I would just support. I would say it's taking conscious decisions on how to manufacture, how to use a product, how to discard a product right away in the beginning of a product life cycle. So at this stage, when you actually think about the design, you already integrate what's going to happen with the product during its entire life cycle. And the life cycle, I think, is also something that characterizes circular design or circular product design because this is the keyword in the end so you take the entire life cycle into the consideration right at the beginning before the product even exists in your mind and life cycle perhaps you can expand on that a little bit what that means this means let's take an outdoor jacket as an example if you look at an outdoor jacket you have to think about the different life cycle stages as being phases in the life cycle of the entire jacket, which means you have to find the raw materials, you have to take the raw materials, make components out of the raw materials, produce the jacket, then you distribute the jacket to a retailer, the retailer distributes it to the consumer. And then in the end, when it comes to the consumer, the consumer is using it over the entire use phase that uh, he, he wants Hopefully. to use it. Yeah. And then during this use phase, the consumer also has to wash it, to repair it or whatever. And then at one point you discard it. So if you look at an outdoor jacket, you might have a lot of different impacts during these, these stages. So you might have an impact on the environmental or an environmental impact at the source of the material, or you might have it during the production, but you might also have it during 
during washing. If your jacket requires special chemical treatments, for example, this might have an impact on the environment in the use phase. Right at the beginning of the product design process, you can only already control and steer these impacts by applying circular design principles and considering all these different life cycle stages of the product. Okay, so so you actually think about it as a first step, but there are many, as I mentioned before in the introduction, that it doesn't begin, and then many people tend to focus on the collection, on the sorting, and on the recycling. Why do you think, and, and maybe it's not the case anymore, but why do you think that design for recycling is something that you really is almost an afterthought. Because it's difficult. It's simply <laughs> something that we're not used to as humans. Um, I think as humans, you know, we are much more comfortable thinking in a linear way. And if you think about circular, uh, a circularity during the entire life cycle, you have to consider a systemic dependence on the different phases of the life of the of the product and how they depend on each other. And this is simply we're, we're very bad in predicting systemic dependencies. And circular Clarity is all about the systems thinking, and that's uh, something that makes it difficult for for us to integrate this yeah, long-term vision right away in the beginning of a product design process. So when did you start thinking about this and, and really the impact that circular product design could make? Uh, I come actually from the material aspect. So I think that's something where you always start the process of design or many times you start designing products by thinking about which type of materials will I use to make the product, especially when you're a chemist. This is when I discovered how materials can in the end uh, control the impact of the products during all these life cycle stages that I mentioned before. And I think the interesting thing is to look into these life cycle phases as interdependent phases, which belong together. In the beginning, when we use linear thinking, we always think like, okay, this is now the sourcing of the raw materials. There is a lot of aspects to consider in this in this area. Then there is the production aspect, which uh, where you have to consider different aspects in terms of sustainability and circularity. Then the use phase, and then it goes to the consumer and so on. So you have these different interdependent phases where you can always like focus on sustainability and circularity issues. But in the end, the interesting thing happens in the interface between these phases. If you look at it from the life cycle perspective, you see that starting with the materials, you can impact all of these phases. Um, and circularity is actually perfect to, to look at this product design approach in this systemic way because it simply combines all the different faces and adds up all the impacts that you can create and looks at possibilities that you can have through product design and the impacts that you can create at the beginning of the design phase. So you obviously have a very clear opinion on, of where we need to go and, and what we need to do. And but and you've been doing this for quite some time. What sort of changes have you seen in the industry when it comes to design for recycling? Is everyone as thought through as you are? That's a good question. <laughs> well, I always I always approach the product design from, as I mentioned, from this material point of view. Because that's as a chemist, this is what I was trained for, and this is what I was was what I could do best. But now, since the awareness about sustainability and circularity has changed, uh, or or has increased also in the population, in regulations, in governments, politics, media, and so on, so you talk about it all the time. And then you have consumers being aware of circularity now, sustainable choices. You have uh, suppliers, regulators, and as I said, general public being aware. And this is something that has changed within the last 
let's say two years because before that when i started in the field of sustainable product development it was rather about conscious sustainable material choices and material alternatives and then through the demand that consumers or regulators placed also on sustainable thinking in general this has been expanded and circularity has been or entered the field as one of the possible strategies to product design that fosters basically sustainable business practice and now you also have tools that help to uh, measure circularity that help to grasp the complexity of circular product design and substantiate with with, with numbers and benchmarks so it, it became much easier to get started in the field we also actually work on a on a tool that is called circulix that is measuring product circularity over all the different value chain aspects simultaneously and like this facilitates also decisions on uh, product design in order to improve circularity before that it was all focusing on materials basically so you had like yeah let's let's change a fossil based uh, material to a bio-based material and then we're more sustainable um, and now we have this connection to the business models to the entire life cycle of products that has changed over the last couple of years actually and that's a perfect segue into my next question actually and and, and it probably goes back to circulex which I, I believe is something that evolution has developed correct no this is something that we developed in a collaboration with one of the largest reinsurance companies <laughs> And this is something that intends to facilitate basically the adoption of circularity in the industry and, and break down the complexity because this is the biggest challenge for to approach and in a practical way to approach and implement circularity and circular design in uh, yeah, daily business practices or, or products. So is this a tool that helps to sort of bridge innovation so from the material side and the economics of business? Is that also what this looks at? It is a tool that helps to understand the correlation between the different value chain aspects. So as I mentioned before, we have the life cycle that we look into, and then you have in the life cycle, you have the raw material aspects, you have transportation aspects, supply chain aspects, and so on. And before that, all these aspects within the product, linear product design process were considered separate. So there was a, the procurement department that was looking at the materials. There was the product developer, which was looking at the construction and the design. And then it went on and on through the different departments to the sales, marketing, and so on. And now if we look at it in a holistic approach that all these different life cycle stages are correlated, we can actually find indicators that say, okay, if you improve your recyclability, it will also help to improve your recycled material content because you will allow your product to be traced back and maybe transported back to a recycler who can then recycle the part of the raw materials and provide it back to you and close the loop in the raw material side. Okay, so it's really closing the loop. Yeah. That's what this is about. Okay. And I think until now, our discussion has been very focused on Europe. What sort of regional challenges do you see? Well, I think the, the regional challenges come from the fact that we have in Europe a very progressive already regulatory action. For example, if you look into packaging or plastics, the European Union is already harmonizing regulations in this field. But this is not always the case in other regions, right? Outside of Europe and other countries and so on. 
On the other hand, we have an industry in Europe which is operating globally. So designing or as a product developer or product designer, you have the challenge that actually you develop within a relatively small ecosystem in Europe and may be able to comply with the regulations there. But then if you export to other markets and you have designed a product which is perfect for recyclability, mm. but the infrastructure is not there because there are no regulations, then it will be very difficult to actually realize the full sustainability or recyclability potential of these products. Yeah, and I think this is this anti-infrastructure problematic is something that, that is different from region to region. And that's why this makes it quite a challenge for brands and companies that operate on the global market to actually effectively implement design for recyclability into their products. Let's stick with that for a moment. You've, you've already addressed a couple of the levers. So the infrastructure, um, some legislation. Are there, are there other levers that we should turn to or we should focus on, not only in Europe, but on a global scale? So you mentioned the levers that can accelerate the adoption of circularity and circular design. The challenge is that if we look at the entire life cycle when designing products, use circular design approaches. These are approaches which are quite interdisciplinary. You have to involve a lot of different stakeholders. So you have to involve the industry, you have to involve the regulations or regulatory side, and you have to involve the consumer in order to have everyone on the same page. So basically, everyone should pull on the same strings from different yeah, directions, so to speak. Certainly, industries have a certain level to stimulate consumer behavior. In the way they design products, they can they can also have an, a possibility to educate the consumer also about their uh, sustainability strategies or circularity strategies in the products. And consumers, of course, have also a lever on driving the demand. So both sides can actually take responsibility to to help to adopt circularity and then also create the necessary infrastructure to realize the circularity of products, for example. A lot can definitely also be driven by, by this mutual education, also podcasts like yours, <laughs> where you actually engage into discussions about these sustainability topics and transform also knowledge about these topics can, can help to drive the adoption of, of these solutions. And on the other hand, governments have actually a strong power to drive the process forward through creating in a favorable ecosystem for, for circular innovation by, for example, regulations and incentives. So as I mentioned before, we have the challenge of having the infrastructure which has to work on a global scale. But on the other hand, we also need to provide the right educational level and basis so that this infrastructure will be actually implemented in such a way that it will support the industry to develop and innovate new circular products and on the other hand also help the consumer to participate in the circular design by providing education on how to discard products or take back products um, and uh, bring them back into the loop. And we are still far away because of the, as a, of the fact that uh, many regions work independently from each other. There are different mindsets, there are also different strategies between different regions. So if you look at the famous 2050 strategies in European Union, it becomes 2060 in uh, Asia mm -hmm. and 
I think India has something like 2070. <laughs> so yeah. the incentives are different and trying to deal with it on a global scale makes it very difficult to, to drive this, this systemic change globally. And I think this harmonization on a global scale is not only for textiles, but also in other recyclable and packaging and, and all of this. And I know that this is an issue which we've discussed in other podcasts in previous episodes that this we really have to get this right. And it's it's not easy across cultures. Uh, across industries, but uh, but I agree that if we don't harmonize globally, then uh, we're only looking at buckets, and that's really not going to solve the problem. You mentioned take-back schemes, and I see this here in Europe. Uh, I was in the States earlier this year, and I've seen it there. And I really want to get your opinion. How much of this do you think is serious? And I, I would think that it's also on the minds of some of our listeners. How much of this is serious, that really retailers especially, and perhaps brands, are really focused on taking back material for recycling? And how much of, of it do you think is, is, let's call it greenwashing? Intention, I would say the intention from, from the projects that I, I was dealing with, the intention is there and design approaches to make re repairability, recyclability possible are also already implemented. From uh, my personal experience from speaking with different brands and, and product manufacturers, their biggest challenge is, is the lack of, of the infrastructure. And then the more they work in the commodity business, the price pressure. Because these take-back incentives only work if there is a viable business case behind. On the, it's kind of like a chicken and egg problem because on one hand, you want to have a system that helps to take the products back and allow to realize the circularity strategies for these products. But on the other hand, this infrastructure is only established when there is a viable business case. So if you start with just a little bit of products that can be actually collected and go back to for a second life or reuse or recycle, program. The, the business case is so small for the companies who would establish the infrastructure that they don't do it. And that's a big challenge. That's why incentives which are driven by governments or, or um, which are supported also financially by governments help to start to kick off these processes and then uh, provide a base or develop these business models that actually make it happen to implement a reverse logistics model. We need an organized approach and not everyone is working in their own silos. But as you've mentioned before, people in the value chain need to come together to work together sort of along the, the lines of, of this Circulex model um, to really work together to make this work. Well, in general, the, the biggest or the most important aspect of circularity is that this is a, a collaborative approach. It is by nature necessary that different disciplines collaborate with each other, different stakeholders. And then since it's supposed to tackle global problems, we will have to go beyond this silo thinking and incentivize actually these uh, interdisciplinary and international or global, globally spread collaborations to find, uh, to develop infrastructures and a regulatory ecosystem that's going to drive this, these changes on, on a global scale in a systemic way. Okay. Until now, we've been talking about, in this episode as well, the more, although it's, we still need massive in investment in infrastructure, it's the more traditional sort of infrastructure investments. Now we see more and more of big data 
playing a role in recycling. Thank God, uh, transparency is is coming. How about in terms of design for recycling? Where would you see that um, digitalization, perhaps even going a step further, uh, deep learning, how that might play a role? That's a good point. I think looking at the complexity uh, and the systemic nature of circular design approaches, the learnings that we will have from data that can be collected from, for example, successful projects has a huge potential to establish efficient circular design practices in the future. At the moment, there is circularity is understood in different ways by different industries, by different uh, stakeholders within one industry. Some say some just reduce it to recyclability, some reduce it to closing the water loop in the production. So there is a lot of little little incentives that are being pursued, but they're isolated from each other. To effectively implement circularity, we have to consider all these different aspects as interrelated with each other. And that's what I spoke about in the beginning. This is quite difficult because it's a systemic approach and uh, we're by nature not wired to, to think in systemic ways. But, but we have to get there. Yeah, but that's why we have tools, uh, digital tools, and especially what you mentioned, the deep learning, uh, which is something that will help us to facilitate the, the understanding of these interrelations. And I think the more data, because now it's, it's like there is no one-fits-all solution to circular design, because it's so complex that you know you have companies that have supply chains in Asia, some have them in regional, then you have co- that produce the same product in the end, but they ha- have different supply chains, they have different distribution systems, so you cannot approach all of them with the same solution. And the transition will be based on the learnings that we have from the first movers. So the more data we get on successful implementation projects, the easier it will be to identify a more universal circular product design approach. And for this, you would need machine learning algorithms. You will need to systems that will be able to analyze the data and in order to, to learn from the successful implementation projects and then help developing yeah, more universal uh, circular design practices. We, with because we mentioned Circulix in the beginning, um, we actually started modeling some of these approaches already. Um, and an example is design for recycling, and you want where you want to increase, for example, the recycled content of a product. So when you do that, separated from other aspects, you would just go and look into where can I get a material that has a higher recycled content, for example. And then you take this material, you increase your recycled content. But if you look at it from a circular perspective and look and implement all the different aspects of circularity, which are also considering reverse logistics, um, supply chain, distribution, and so on, you can solve this challenge by implementing reverse logistics. And this might be even more efficient than just changing the supply of the raw material because through establishing a reverse infrastructure, you get back potentially part of of your product at the end of, uh, of life. 
you have maybe for this purpose designed it in such a way that it can be easily disassembled so that when you get it back you can reuse the material and then it makes even economically more sense because you uh, save the material costs that you would have to use uh, that you would have to spend on on buying recycled material but still from <laughs> from a, from another source and these kind of correlations can be only done when you have a digital model behind it that helps you to actually correlate these different aspects and that model also different scenarios so that's one thing that definitely going to help to learn and drive the adoption of of efficient circular economy or circular design practices for different types of industries because in the end it doesn't matter if you produce clothes or if you produce uh, building panels you still have to deal with the same issues when it comes to reverse logistics or when it comes to distribution or energy use during production, the solutions for this can be adapted across these different industries. And I could imagine the motivation to get it right, to get design for recycling right, is quite high if you're getting the material back yeah. yourself. Matt, thank you very much. In addition to advising for design for recycling, you are a father, you're a husband, you're a skier, you're a runner, you're a surfer and a musician, and I have no idea how you have time to be a podcaster, but you are. You have your own podcast that you co-host with John Sewell. Um, and I hope the, the title is correct, plastic.climate.future. Yeah, exactly. And you've been doing this for a while. And I know how much work is involved here. And you've got several sep episodes. And obviously, the, the focus is also plastic, climate, and future. From these episodes, if some of our listeners would like to listen in, which one, which episode would you say has been the most maybe impactful or surprising that you've done so far? Well, I would not limit it to one episode. Okay. Of course, because on one hand, we want to promote the podcast. <laughs> But on the other hand, <laughs> I think what, what was the most surprising was to listen to these young, motivated, and passionate entrepreneurs that we had the chance to, to interview. As you said, we focus in the podcast a lot on talking about innovative solutions that drive circularity and sustainability with plastics and plastics applications. And many of the guests joining us were really young. So like compared, like slightly below 30, not like us slightly above, but... <laughs> You are much too kind, but okay, <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> they have been uh, pursuing those like really young people and you, they had this intrinsic passion and motivations to pursue their innovation with desire to really tackle global sustainability issues. And if you listen to them and you see how passionate they are about these topics and then compare it to the time when uh, when I was young <laughs> and I <laughs> um yeah then uh, there's something that where, where you really see that things are changing at the moment, that there is a trustful and true shift of mindsets towards circularity, sustainability, and all these different yeah issues that are concerning all of us in the end. And I think this is a mindset that we haven't been aware of when we started the podcast. I can only encourage, especially also these generations above 30, <laughs> <laughs> to to listen to to some of these young really motivated innovators and simply get inspired because this is this was the most powerful experience to have these people on our podcast.
podcast. I think we can, there's a lot to learn from the younger generation if we would just listen. So on that positive note, Matt, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, I think we'll be having you back. Uh, I hope so anyway. Very interesting stuff. Thank Thanks you. Thanks, Peter, for inviting me. 